Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this episode where Charlotte and I are kicking off a a fun series that we've been talking about for a couple of months now. So a couple of months ago, Charlotte and I uh, saw through Twitter, through our friend Sarah from the podcast Friends of the Force, she had posted about this book called Our Blessed Rebel Queen, and it is an anthology of essays on Carrie Fisher and Princess Leia. And you know, Charlotte and I immediately hit purchase on that. (laughs) Um, And we've had the book for a couple of months and we've been trying to figure out a good way to talk about it on the show. And finally, we decided that we would just kind of go through each of the essays that have been compiled in this book and just kind of talk about them. And we're kind of envisioning this as series that we do throughout the year. It's not going to be like one right after the other. It's going to be whenever we feel like covering the next essay in this book. But it's all about um, Carrie Fisher and her identity and legacy as Princess Leia and what it means, uh, like her impact in the world as as Carrie Fisher and also as her character, Princess Leia. And we're really excited to be going through this book, actually. Yeah, it felt like we really wanted to talk about these topics, which are gender, identity, commodity, manufacturism, uh, licensing. (laughs) I don't know, a lot of things, right? And everything that has to do with Princess Leia, female fandom, and things like that. Yeah, when Sarah mentioned this, I was like, what is this book? We have to figure this out. We have to buy this right now. And we did. I'll put a link about where to buy it. We bought it from an academic journal website. So I just want to say that while we're going to be talking about the essays, you don't have to have read the essay to listen to our discussion. That's our hope. That's our goal. Well, I'll I'll still put the link to the book if you want to read it, if you want to check it out yourself. But I think our goal here is to just talk about this, talk about the themes and talk about what we thought about it and how we relate to these essays. I think Caitlin and I, something we haven't talked a lot about on the podcast is how we have this sort of complicated ebb and flow relationship with the character of Princess Leia. And I think that if you hear that, you might be like, oh, wait, you don't like her? No, we love Princess Leia. We love Carrie Fisher, adore her so much, okay? But I think when we were younger and when we were getting into Star Wars fandom, Princess Leia wasn't our immediate favorite character. And I think that this essay that we're going to talk about now sort of traces our journeys into the character of Princess Leia meaning as much as she does to both of us. And I just wanted to provide some sort of space to talk through that because I think that, I don't know, I think that we've talked to a lot of people who are huge fans of Princess Leia. And again, so are we. (laughs) But uh, she wasn't our immediate favorite, like, ever like so many people so I'm I feel like I'm not really describing this this well because I feel like it makes it sound like sort of on the negative but I think there's something that's really powerful about tracing our own fandom with like what was going on in pop culture and how Princess Leia sort of takes center stage when we think about like what it means to be a fan of Star Wars especially someone who is a a woman and how we see ourselves in these films. And I have just really like grown and learned with her and especially Carrie Fisher's own writing. And yeah, so just wanted to say that. And I think this, uh, this little mini series, which 
again, won't be like consecutive. I don't think we'll do every single essay as something that we release every single week, but probably over the course of the year, maybe we'll dive into the essay in a comprehensive way. Yeah, I'm super excited. And yeah, I think that Charlton and I have had like the reflecting on our relationship to Carrie Fisher and Princess Leia has been so interesting because honestly, I think when we were younger, so much of how we viewed her as a character was through like a lot of internalized misogyny, honestly, and like what society, what pop culture was telling us was a girl and like a woman and a pretty woman, right? And in so many ways, we felt that maybe Princess Leia didn't fit that exactly, or we like just didn't get it. And I don't know, it's been interesting to, yeah, to like see how that relationship has changed and to the character of Princess Leia, but honestly, through learning more about Carrie Fisher herself um, and like through her writings and through like watching her shows and her her appearances and speeches and things like that and kind of deconstructing our own ideals of what it is to be a woman and to be beautiful and to be powerful in a film and and even what a a, a quote-unquote strong independent woman is as a character and in real life and that journey of like being so annoyed at that kind of term too as just like like a placeholder for every film that had a woman in it. She's a strong woman. Like she's a strong female character. Like, please stop saying that. Oh my God. Um, (laughs) There's like, like Charlotte said, like all these ebbs and flows. And I think that uh, I've experienced that the most with Princess Leia and Carrie Fisher and just kind of thinking back to who I was at 13 years old and how I thought I should look, how I thought I should act and dress and the ways that I thought a character like Leia fit into that mold and how she didn't and how so much of that was just me projecting uh, my own insecurities as, you know, a seventh grade middle school girl. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's it's interesting. Uh, and I'm excited to go through these essays and talk about them. And definitely, if you are, if you're not going to buy the book, uh, definitely worth going to check out the cover art for it because it's, it's so fun. I think we've only said it once, but the title of this anthology is called Our Blessed Rebel Queen, Essays on Carrie Fisher and Princess Leia. And the cover art is this like great like silhouette drawing of Carrie Fisher with Gary with um like the holy rings of light behind her but she's flipping off God and it's great I love it (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah this whole compilation it was edited by Linda Mizjuski Mizjuski I'm I'm probably mispronouncing that but Linda Mizjuski and Tanya D. Zook are uh the women who edited this anthology Just to sort of add on to what you were saying before we dive in, Caitlin, I just want to make it clear that like, I think that what we're going to talk about also is how when we were first getting into Star Wars fandom in like 2007, um, the concept of being a fan who was a woman, it was like, okay, so which characters can we attach ourselves to? And the, uh, it was the, it was a sparse (laughs) group of people that we could attach ourselves to and I think that so many of it is like oh so aren't you a huge fan of Princess Leia and a little bit of us was like a defiant nature of no that's not my favorite character actually and just because I'm a woman fan doesn't mean that Princess Leia 
is all I care about, you know? And I think that that has also taken a lot of deconstructing in that defensive nature of trying to fit into what so many people call a boys club. And yeah, yeah, it's it's an interesting road that we've been on. I've again have full almost fully deconstructed that, but revisiting <laughs> this um oh, yeah, congrats. Thank you. Thank you. We, revisiting this essay sort of reminded me and sort of validated my feelings about yeah. that experience. <laughs> so let's dive into it. So the essay that we're reading and talking about today is called Who Owns Carrie Fisher? A complicated embodiment of manufactured commodity and an avatar of resistance. It is written by Jennifer M. Fogel. Okay. So Caitlin, what do you think about this essay? This so this was a good essay to start off with, I think, in this an- anthology. And I hope, listener, that you will go along with us as Charlotte and I try to um like fully explain what's going on in these essays, knowing that they're not as readily accessible as some of the other sources that we try to use on Skytalker. So if things aren't making sense or we're not explaining it well, please feel free to message us or just ask because this is kind of a little bit of a new process for us, even though I feel like we're like doing quotes and stuff all the time. um, It feels a little different, I think, than kind of diving into like a 10 page essay a little bit more in depth, a little different than what we usually do. But this essay basically goes through the conflation of identity between Princess Leia and uh, Carrie Fisher and how the public, how the general audience has uh, associated the actress and the character together, how their identities have become intertwined and all the complications that come from that and how how do we separate them out should we separate them out as an audience how did Carrie Fisher talk about her identity as Carrie Fisher and as Princess Leia there were times in her life where she resented it and times in her life when she celebrated and times in her life when she did both at the same time you know and I think that this essay was a good place to start in this anthology because it's I think more than any other of the original trilogy trilogy characters, like more than Mark and more than Harrison, Carrie became so intertwined with her identity as Princess Leia to a degree that I don't think Harrison and Mark did. And it's kind of impossible to talk about her and her impact without acknowledging how, how much Princess Leia became a part of her life. And I think that this essay really kind of laid that out from a lot of different perspectives and did a good job at like synthesizing that complication, I think. And um, yeah, I enjoyed it. And like Charlotte mentioned earlier, it was a good, it was a good way to like settle my, settle my thoughts about who I thought Carrie Fisher was, like begin to settle my thoughts about who she was, who she was as Princess Leia. And like reflecting back on my own relationship to her as a person and also the character too. Yeah. I think that in those early days of Star Wars fandom for us, we associated Carrie Fisher with so many hilarious sound bites. And I was pretty delighted that in the first, and it's hilarious, but it's also in a sad way too. And I think that's what this essay goes into pretty well. But one of the first quotes that they, uh, that Jennifer Fogel quotes is, it's this quote that I think went pretty viral on YouTube, even in those early days of her talking about her likeness being used for commodity. So she says, George's many possessions, he owns my likeness so that every time I look in the mirror, I have to send him a couple of bucks. 
That quote is so iconic. I'm pretty sure it's in her stand-up comedy that's a special that I think is still on HBO right now. And then also she used that line at the George Lucas Lifetime Achievement Award, which Caitlin and I would watch that all the time. Yeah. And I think that that quote, it's it has a uh, it's deep, man, you know? I think that <laughs> I think that we would laugh at it and I think that it, the purpose is to laugh at it especially cuz she uses it in her stand-up, but it is it's pretty real, right? Like her image is everywhere. So in this essay, it's pretty cool that it traces the beginnings to where it is. I'm pretty sure when um, this essay was finished being written, which is after Carrie died, specifically with her image being used as a very popular sign for the Women's March in January 2017. And we'll talk about that. And I'm really excited to dive in. So, but I thought that I'd read a quote that I thought really summarized also the way that we think about this paradox of separation of image. What does it mean when your likeness is no longer your own? When it becomes a paradox of reverie and parody. On the one hand, Fisher remains a pinup girl for male fanboys. On the other, the embodiment of a feminist icon. When her Princess Leia persona is a highly contested catalog of hyper-feminized attributes, example, the inexhaustible discussion of Leia's hair and the, quote, golden metal bikini that have leached into the gendered marketing of Star Wars products for 40 years, General Leia, Fisher's contemporary incarnation within the franchise, was met with a misogynistic disparage of the actress's aged physique. The lambasting of a sci-fi sex symbol for getting older as a toxic reminder that Fisher's image has been annexed and commodified by a largely nostalgic, parentheses, male fandom. It's pretty savage, this (laughs) this, uh, essay, Um, but I think that uh, it stares at the hard truths of how Carrie's own image has been used throughout the years. Well, and it's so complicated, too, because she ended up partaking in that herself so much, you know, in like having her own Princess Leia collection, too. And I think that's like part of the complication that the essay discusses about how her image was commodified and it became so hypersexualized and such a point of nostalgia for so many, so many young boys, right? Like this is something Carrie Fisher has talked a ton about throughout um, like a lot of her stand-up comedy and in her books and stuff. And, you know, it's, it's funny, but then you actually sit with it for a minute and you think, wow, like how much of this was her own. And there was another quote in here too that talked about her and her image and like how it it was so different this happening to her in the time period that it did in the 70s like before the internet and stuff. And this quote says, unlike the young celebrities of today that can control the ways in which they leverage their star image whether through social activism or commercial practices, Fisher's image was fundamentally manufactured from the onset within a film franchise with a central impetus on commodification, which would later lead to its own cultural capital. And for Carrie Fisher, celebrity was a perplexing duality of symbolic figure and corporate brand that left little separation for a private self or control of her likeness. And there's so much in this in this essay, I think, that when they have quotes of Carrie Fisher written in this essay, I can hear them in her voice, right? Like (laughs) it's so easy to hear Carrie Fisher reading them one, because they're like, like the one you read at the beginning, Charlotte, they're things that we've 
read before or heard from her a hundred times, like watched those clips a hundred times. But then like Carrie Fisher was so, she had such a recognizable tone in her writing. And there's something that is both like celebratory about just the passion and the the legacy of Star Wars in her life, but then also that darker side of it that was so um, like not her own, even though it, it was her own likeness and how it gets taken from her and turned into this whole this whole thing that like 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 they said this commodity and this um like thing for purchase and you even think about the commodity of her signature and like meeting someone like Carrie Fisher at celebration and how even then like that real life interaction is then also a commodity and it's just it's fascinating to kind of think about how you reconcile that like if I'm thinking about Carrie Fisher and, and how she dealt with it throughout her life and it, it makes total sense to think about those ebbs and flows of when it was something she was excited about when it was something she was proud of and when it was something she detested and you know didn't want a part of anymore you know or had a complicated relationship with yeah I think that's what really struck me about this essay and the quotes that they used is this reminder that I think that Carrie and George Lucas had a good relationship, especially like later in life and everything. But it it's pretty clear to me that Carrie had this need to regain control of her own narrative. And I think that on, on the one hand, um, we can praise people like George Lucas for like there's a quote in this. I'll read it. As the story is often told, George Lucas saw past the Hollywood machine machine with cunning foresight and not only negotiated the sequel rights to one of the most successful film serials in history, but also 100% of the merchandising rights. So we, we know that. We've talked about that on the show, that Star Wars and merchandising are so intrinsically tied. But what does that mean when Star Wars and merchandising are so tied to your own identity as a person, as like an individual, not just your character? And I think it was pretty clear in so many ways how Carrie clawed basically back into um, gaining control over that. And he, she says this in Wishful Drinking. George Lucas was a man who made me into a little doll, and it barely even hurt, a little doll that one of my exes could stick pins into me whenever he was annoyed with me. He also made me into a shampoo bottle where people could twist off my head and pour liquid out of my neck. And there was soap that read, lather up with Leia and you'll feel like a princess yourself. But the thing I've been made into that has really enhanced the quality of my life, I'm a Pez dispenser. So again, we all laugh at that because it is when she delivers it, it is just gold. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. It's class. And it's like, it's hard for me not to read it like I would read Carrie Fisher, right? But there's so much in there, right? Like, and it barely even hurt when he made me a little doll. Yeah, it it made her millions of dollars. She has an identity that she protects and um, she, lo she loved being Princess Leia, but she also hated being Princess Leia. And like these reasons... You can see why. It's very clear why. And uh, I think that even the the lather up with Leia and you'll feel like a princess yourself even touches on the sexualization of Princess Leia, which is intense and especially around Return of the Jedi. And this was um, – she says this a lot. Like this is a, this was a quote and a bit that she used a lot. And George laughed at it too at that, at that ceremony. And I just think that – I don't know. I just feel like they would have had conversations about that. And again, like something I think a lot about 
specifically with this podcast that is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this essay is that how do we wrestle with the fact that we are fans of people that we consume so much, for lack of a better, better term, content that is created by them. We are interested in their own creative process, their own feelings about that creative process and the identity that in which they embody now as being part of a multi-billion dollar um, franchise. And yet we have to recognize that these are individual people that we actually don't know. Yeah, we've met Carrie Fisher before in a 15 second thing in 2010 at Star Wars Celebration. But we don't know her. We know what she puts out there. And in terms of regaining her own personal narrative, I think that is, uh, it's so crucial because of this recognition that the audience doesn't, we don't, we don't know any of these people. And it's something that I have to keep reminding myself so much. And I think that as the popularity of a character, especially Princess Leia has has just excelled in popularity for over 40 years, I uh, I can't even imagine what that would be like in the frustrations and joys that come with both of those. Yeah, I can't either. And it's, you know, f- all of us in this like podcasting industry about, you know, that cover anything from something like Star Wars to Marvel to Harry Potter to whatever it is to like Disney itself, right? That we put so much emphasis on all of these specific like cherry-picked characteristics about people and about creators and these things that they say and do they say them because they know that people will respond to it do they say it because it's an it's you know intrinsically true for the creative process like there are so many layers when it comes to like being a fan of a person and admiring their work and admiring their creative work and things like that and in a way we create them we as fans we make them characters themselves right like to a certain extent like George Lucas is a character that I think of as a part of the Star Wars universe and like I know that that sounds bad to say but it's true like I I have these attributes that I that I give him right and this way that I think about him and his creative process but that's all from the very specific things that I've read the specific interviews that he's given where he's put out uh, a certain image or a certain persona of himself but that's incredibly different from actually knowing him as a person day to day and seeing like how he acts you know on a good day on a bad day when he's hungry when he's happy you know what I mean it's just it's just kind of a reminder that um I know I know a version I know uh like I said a a persona of these people and so much of it is like taken from the page and that that is in a lot of ways like an incredibly dangerous way to say that I know someone because it's just words on a page it's not actually them in front of me you know um but I wanted to read some quotes from Carrie herself that were included in this essay about like her her struggles with this this issue of her identity and of her likeness um so this first one is uh even though Fisher expressed surprise at her sex symbol status status she rationalized I think boys may have been attracted to my accessibility I wasn't conventionally beautiful and sexy and as such was less likely to put them down or think I was too good for them and then 
this is outside of the quote from Carrie. As the physical embodiment of the sassy heroine and the sexy sci-fi princess, Fisher was taxed with the unyielding management of the emotional fan attachment to this cultural icon, which would later become a burden in the face of fan incredulity when she failed to conform to this heavily commodified image later in life. And then later... She's talking about the meet and greets and stuff, which she describes as a celebrity lap dance, she called it, and yet at the same time, incredibly sweet and mystifying. Initially, it was very weird to me because they're saying you and it's Leia, but to them, it's you and Leia. Over the years, they both get mixed up. And then I have two more. Sorry, I just think these are like good quotes from her. Carrie says, I wish I'd understood the kind of contract I signed by wearing the metal bikini, insinuating I would and will always remain somewhere in the erotic ballpark appearance-wise, enabling fans to remain connected to their younger, yearning selves, longing to be with me without having to realize that we're both long past all of this in any urgent sense, and accepting it as a memory rather than an ongoing reality. And then lastly, in The Princess Diarist, she writes, it turns out that it, it turns out that she matters to me, Leia. Unfortunately, but as it happens, I've spent the lion's share of my life being as much myself as Princess Leia, answering questions about her, defending her, fed up with being mistaken for her, overshadowed by her, struggling with my resentment of her, wishing she'd finally just go away and give me, leave me to be myself alone, but then wondering who I'd be without her, feeling honored to be her representative here on Earth, her caretaker, doing what I can to be worthy of the gig, and then feeling beyond ridiculous and wishing it would all just fade away, leaving me to be who I was all those years ago. And I think it's just, it's so interesting to think that, like, as a woman, like, this image of Princess Leia was created by a man and applied to Carrie Fisher. And she had, I don't want to say she didn't have any say in the character of Princess Leia, because I, I think she did, but like from the foundation of it, it's this image from a man applied onto her as an actress, you know, like that was her job, right? I'm not saying it was like dastardly what George did or something like that, but like this image applied onto her and it became her for the rest of her life. And like the end of that quote where she's, where she said, um, I felt feeling beyond ridiculous and wishing that it would just fade away, leaving me to be who I was all those years ago, like, there was so little of her life that wasn't associated with Princess Leia. And I just, I wonder, again, I wonder, like, how she felt about that through the years. And I think she felt complicated feelings about it. Right. I think that so much of this essay also discusses the changing image and how things, like, really kicked into high gear, I guess, in the 80s. And then there's also a discussion of when The Force Awakens came out and how we're presented with... And because, of course, we are uh, an Alea that it takes place 30 years after Return of the Jedi and how since her image the last time we saw her had been blown up so much with the gold bikini that there's there was so much conversation about does she look good? Does she not look good in her in in The Force Awakens, which was just absurd. And I remember that so clearly. There's even discussions about these um the articles that came out, the reviews about uh The Force Awakens. And I you remember all this, right, Caitlin? Like yeah. when you were reading this, we were like, oh my gosh, I remember it all when all of this went down. The essay talks about how so many people said things that were so just like trigger warning about like image. So many people in the reviews said things that like 
Carrie wasn't, quote, aging well or, quote, let herself go. It's awful. And the essay specifically quotes a New York Post critic, Kyle Smith, who rudely chastises Fisher for rebuking Hollywood's image conscious nature, saying that she should be grateful to simply still have a job. One that, of course, was dependent on her looks in the first place. Smith nastily writes, quote, no one would know the name Carrie Fisher if it weren't for her ability to leverage her looks. George Lucas only cast her in the first place because she was young, slim, and cute at the time. Fisher made millions off being pretty. Far from being bitter about this, she and other actresses who profited nicely from their looks should be grateful that they had a turn at the top. This, like... (laughs) enrages me so much. And I remember this so specifically. This specific critic is just very harsh. Also, even today, towards a lot of things like that. And so many people were talking about this specific review and just the conversation about like how the image of Princess Leia as we view her has changed and like that's actually a really good thing. I'll I'll read this. While the debate surrounding Princess Leia has vacillated from feminist role model to sexually objectified damsel, the release of The Force Awakens renewed the heroine paradox. Quote, heroines are unlike other women in their ag- agentic characteristics but must also be quote quintessentially feminine. The Force Awakens highlights Leia's role as wife, mother, and now general of the Rebel Alliance. Salon writer Mary Elizabeth Williams saw that this quote new Princess Leia as the call to action and praised The Force Awakens for giving a, quote, grown women permission to look like a grown woman. But most male fans did not see it that way. <sighs> it's like, <laughs> it just really frustrates me, um, the whole conversation. And I, it's just literally so unfair because no one said this about Harrison Ford. No one said this about Mark Hamill. It's not, everyone was like, oh, he's just aging so gracefully. So great. This, the comments about age are just so sexist. Yeah, so it just kind of talks about that and how Carrie dealt with that right like she dealt with the brunt of that this is a woman who's very much on social media and very much in the public promoting this movie the the essay does say fisher responded to the haters with the infamous blow us tweet discussed at length by christian anderson wagner later in this volume so i guess we'll talk about that later. <laughs> but um and i think if we could just press rewind a little bit because now we're talking about the force awakens and how things have changed but i want to go back to how things were. One of the most interesting things I found about this essay was the mention of how all of most of, I shouldn't say all because I'm not sure about that, but most of the toy commercials in the 70s and 80s that had to do with Star Wars. So we talk about commodification, we think about toys, we think about merchandising, we think about backpacks, we think about pajamas. Most of these toys had little boys uh, in the, the commercials and little girls only playing with the Princess Leia figures. So the quote says, this marginalization was solidified early in the countless television ads hawking toys for the original trilogy that rarely featured any little girls playing with Leia action figures or even dolls and emphasized the franchise as a quote, boys thing. Combined with the few hyper-feminized products that were available to girls and women, including the Princess Leia bubble bath, dolls, costumes, wigs, and perhaps the most egregious, a Slave Leia perfume from 1983 that was, quote, reissued for fans anew at the 2010 Star Wars Celebration Festival. When I read this, I was like, it was instantly transported back to that time. Caitlin, do you remember this at all? Or is it just me? I don't know. I remember this so well. 
it was an interesting time to be a fan as a teenager at this time. So our first Star Wars celebration was 2010, was this Star Wars celebration that was mentioned. Even then it was like, oh, you're going to a Star Wars convention, but you're a girl. Oh, you're going to a Star Wars convention? What are you going to get out of that? And I remember like looking through the merchandise, and this is something we've actually talked about on the podcast before, but that was a 30th anniversary of Empire Strikes Back celebration, remember? Mm -hmm. And there was Boba Fett on everything. And this was a made our relationship with Boba Fett very complicated. <laughs> okay. Something that we have um broken down, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> on this podcast. But the amount of like merchandise that was available with the female gaze in mind or, you know, anything that would have a woman fan in mind was pretty rare. It was an add-on. It was a bonus. And I remember when the merchandise was being released and that this was part of it and people were like, oh, wow, that's so cool. That's so cool. And me being like, should I even care about this? And I ask, should I even care about this? Because Carrie Fisher has been on the record before talking about how she had such complicated feelings about the bikini itself and the fact that now that image had been lampooned everywhere and been put up for discussion constantly about the kitsch behind it, the nostalgia behind it. And what was the, that nostalgia based in? It was based in sexualization. It was based in what men had, like people talk about their sexual awakenings being with that image of Princess Leia. It was gross. I mean, as as a teenager, it was like, okay, am I supposed to think that's cool? Am I supposed to not think that's cool? A lot of stuff goes into that. So I think for me, when that was part of the merchandising for Celebration 5 as like a nostalgia piece, as a kitsch piece, it was like, okay, am I? is this supposed to be for me? Who is this even for? What am I supposed to think about this? Is this is this for me? This was also the rise of her universe and the new clothing that was being specifically designed for fangirls in mind. And it was like, if we want to put those two things side by side also, like we could talk about the rise in clothing made for fangirls that was pretty huge and monumental by Ashley Eckstein. And then also at the same show when her universe was first debuting or I don't know if it was debuting first there. Or it was definitely the first celebration that her universe as a brand existed. Side by side of that, they had this perfume that I think just sort of encapsulates like this nostalgic bit for the Slave Leia costume and just like the Slave Leia personage. I think for me, when I look back at this specific time in my own fandom and in my life as a teenager, um, at Celebration 5. It was so formative for both Caitlin and I in our Star Wars fandom when we had the best time ever and it really catapulted us into being <laughs> huge Star Wars fans. I mean, we already were, but it was a whole different time where we kind of saw ourselves as a part of a, a world, as a part of a fandom, as we got a glimpse into a new community and we were trying to figure out where we belonged within it. And I still think that is something that we're still figuring out. I think we have just like everything. And when we look back on that, we've done so much work and different, so many things have changed and including the conversation about how we talk about the Slave Leia costume, the the, uh, the evolution into calling that costume Hut Slayer. 
a lot of people have complicated feelings about that. And I feel like that's totally okay. I appreciate the the journey that that entire uh, narrative has gone on. But I think that there's a lot to say about that entire costume, the merchandising of it all that kind of like comes down to the fact that there was a perfume <laughs> with it. Even when I hear this, the concept of Star Wars being a boy thing, I also get very like alarmed <laughs> by that just for years and years. I just, it's a lot. I've been told that so many times in my life and I know you have been to Caitlin and it's just couldn't be further from the truth, but also it, it is part of the truth because that is what is being that was what was being merchandised for so long as evidenced in this essay. Another quote that I wanted to read was about the bikini specifically. Of course, the hotly debated skimpy metal bikini slave outfit she wears in Return of the Jedi often overshadows Princess Leia's initial iconic look in otherwise reserved fashion. It's true if you think about it. Whether the bikini was Lucas's, quote, cynical nod to his, quote, growing nerd culture fan base, end quote, a crude objectification of the heroine or an iconic and empowered spin on the damsel in distress trope, Leia does use the elements of her enslavement to kill her captor. The controversial outfit is now a commodified cultural artifact symbolic for both modern day cosplaying and a constructed Princess Leia as a, as a nostalgic sci-fi sex symbol. Herein lies the rub. At the same time that Lucas was successfully leveraging the toyetic nature of his Star Wars films and commodifying the likeness of each of his actors, the fan base became a highly gender-constrictive landscape overseen by the twin sons of toy marketers and merchandising agents. And damn, that couldn't be truer. <laughs> <laughs> Just, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that... There was a quote in here that I think I think it was in this essay that talks about how yeah yeah yeah. So on the page before it says to date Star Wars licensed toys and mer and this was I think in 2017 is when this essay was written. To date Star Wars licensed toys and merchandise sales have earned 12 billion dollars for the franchise, nearly triple the box office revenue from the original and prequel trilogy com films combined. So it's like whatever whatever's happening on screen is just the like the smallest slice of the pie in a lot of ways mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. which is insane so when you you think about something like slave leia like hut slayer leia right we can we can talk all day about how you know the image has changed its meaning has changed but the outfit is still there like the 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 visual of it still exists and that's going so many people are going to take that at face value in a lot of ways and all of the toys all the merchandise all of the collectibles that have been created from it always feel to come from a very specific place now, I I do think that that has shifted in the past five years but I don't think that it's completely rewritten the story um in regards to that, I wanted to. So you went back to 2010. I want to bring us back to 2015 with the Force okay. Awakens. <laughs> reading through some of this really reminded me so much of all of my like complicated feelings with the Force Awakens and like it's mar like not with the film itself, but like with its marketing leading up to it. Um, so talking about again marketing Return of the Jedi as we lead into the Force Awakens. So uh, 
Hence, the overarching problem is that while female fans debate if Leia's slave outfit in Return of the Jedi is objectifying or empowering, or why this iteration of Princess Leia is currently the most available form of her action figure, the marketing agents behind Star Wars' lineup of consumer products prior to and following the release of The Last Jedi of 2017 continue to vastly underestimate the interest girls would have in the movies and related merchandise and how toy buying has changed in the years since the Star Wars films were released. Even as General Leia and thus Carrie Fisher gave way to new heroine Rey in The Force Awakens in 2015, both characters were largely missing from toy shelves in favor of a line of CoverGirl cosmetics and uh, jewelry at K Jewelers, kitchen goods, and a women's clothing line from Rock and Republic for Kohl's. And I wanted to ask you if you remember the Monopoly fiasco and how Ray was. Who could forget who, the Monopoly fiasco? Yeah, who could forget <laughs> it? And I was like, oh my God, like, I remember being so. It was, like, the first, like, so livid. I was, like, how is she not included in the Monopoly set? Like, I was, like, I was beside myself. I was, like, this this is my villain origin story. And then there was another quote a couple pages later. This is talking, again, about the release of The Force Awakens and, like, Carrie Fisher's image and, and Daisy Ridley and Ray's dimension and everything. It says, The paratexts created to help hype the return of the beloved Star Wars franchise have greatly perpetuated the sexist hierarchies in the Star Wars fan community. The constant regaling of journalists that The Force Awakens broke boundaries and was not just for boys anymore merely drives the marginalization of female fans as if they too needed to be rescued by the corporate bigwigs who deemed to recognize them as a viable demographic. But why is this still a thing? Why are young girls and women still made to feel like they don't belong in geek culture, made fun of for wanting to cosplay their favorite characters or bring a Star Wars lunchbox to school? And how does Carrie Fisher's commodified image further highlight and codify a burgeoning resistance to this patriarchal corporate power? And oh my gosh. <laughs> I remember like this this is where this The Force Awakens is where my distaste for strong female character originates because that's the only way that people would talk about Ray at the time. It's how JJ Abrams talked about Ray at the time. It's this strong female character. And like, isn't it so great to have a strong female character in the center? And um it was like yeah, it was great. <laughs> and it is great. It's, like, it's just not, you're not throwing me a bone, J.J. Yeah, Abrams. Right. There needs to be a lot more work that needs to be done. Yeah, and it, it was just like, number one, women have been here from the beginning. And we also, we should have mentioned this in the beginning of this book, but um, in the initial uh, introduction acknowledgments to this anthology, they shout out Dr. Annalise Ophelia and, and Looking for Leia and a lot of the work that went into that documentary series. Um, but women have been here from the beginning, right? And it's like that complication with Leia. It's like, okay, well, Rey's not our first strong female character. Leia was here too, right, from the beginning. But like, I don't want to just have to like Leia because I'm a girl. But I don't want to just have to like Rey because I'm a girl. But also like, I want more women in Star Wars because there needs to be more women in Star Wars. And you calling her a strong female character isn't, right? It's not like you're not making me happy like you think that you are. Like, she's just a mm -hmm. strong character, right? And like, let's stop calling her strong, too. You know, it's like, it's the whole yeah. thing and it's so complicated. And then she's not even in the Monopoly set. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, and yeah, I'm enraged that she's not included in the Monopoly set because I want my strong female character to be included in the Monopoly set. It can, We can have both. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's really frustrating because like, also, I want to acknowledge that people of all identities have liked Star Wars for so long yeah. since Star Wars existed. 
we're coming from our own experience as people who identify as women and how we come into this and how marketers also see things across, along the binary. And I think that it's it's hard in this conversation because we want to, I think that's where this breakdown of what The Force Awakens gave us is really difficult because it's like, no, 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 I don't want any sort of like, I should like this because it is gendered and I am that gender. I want to like this because I want everyone to like this and I want to be accepted for liking this. Yeah. And it's, Ooh, boy. it's the other side that like, again, Ray is not included in the Monopoly set. Ray doesn't have an action figure that's exclusively uh, marketed to little boys the way that the makeup set is exclusively marketed towards girls, you know, in 2015. And it's like you are you're not doing the thing you think you're doing. And it's it's frustrating that even while you're throwing the bone of the quote unquote strong female character, you're just further putting it in a box and putting like women fans in that box too they're like okay here's here's your character this is so fun look here she is <laughs> we gave her some eyeshadow too awesome <laughs> and then it's like the whole rest of the marketing giant is like for for men presumably and it's it's so it's so frustrating it goes on they goes on to say in this section in the same way that popular culture heroines are relegated to buxom costumes, hyper-feminized, and rarely made the hero of their own journey, female fans are forced to navigate the gendered tensions that exist in fandom that highlight its male exclusivity. This gendered hierarchy has been constructed over time by social, economic, and political institutions that leach into popular culture. Hence, it is unsurprising that after her unexpected death in December 2016, Carrie Fisher's cult status as sci-fi heroine was reimagined as feminist hero of numerous contemporary causes, including the Women's March. And this kind of segues us into the Women's March in January 2017 and this, like, horrible, tragic storm of all of these things happening at the same time, right? And this reimagining of Carrie Fisher's image of princess leia's image of them together as one image being used as this symbol of resistance in the women's march and it's it adds this whole other layer and it feels it's so important when that happened right that we'll dive into this a little bit more but like the essay goes into how right like it was a lot of women at the women's march who kind of took control of this rewrote a new narrative of this image of Carrie Fisher and a Princess Leia together as one, right? Like a woman's places in the resistance. I think many of us are familiar with seeing uh, the posters of her and like all of this is the perfect storm, right? Like would it have happened this way if Carrie Fisher hadn't unexpectedly passed away a month prior? I, I don't know, honestly, you know, it's like one of those things you don't really want to think about, but I think it's worth mentioning because again, I think it's like that horrible, tragic storm of everything happening at the end of 2016 leading into 2017. But the essay goes on to talk about how like that was so meaningful and impactful, but now the cycle is complete because all of those types of images are now commodities like that, that inspiring rewritten narrative of a woman's places in the resistance with Carrie Fisher's image and of her picture it's it's for sale like it the cycle has repeated itself again and like Carrie Fisher slash Princess Leia as the one image of this symbol is a commodity once again it just means something different now but it's still a commodity and it was I got to the end of this essay and I was like it just it 
that cycle doesn't end and there's still meaning in it and there's still value in how that narrative has changed, of course, but it, like it still comes back to capitalism. <laughs> yeah. And, and commodity yeah. and just the uncontrollable nature of how your image has been used from when you did a small space movie that you thought wasn't going to be a huge deal or did think it was going to be a huge deal, but never thought that it would be something that 40 years later, people were putting on signs to protest the government. We Are the Resistance is the sign that I think a lot of people remember. And uh, it's that black and white photo of Carrie. Um, I, I just, we saw that everywhere. And here's a quote that um, I want to read about it. It is likely that the protesters who took part in the Global Women's March did not fully understand the magnitude of co-opting the image of Carrie Fisher's Princess Leia for the handmade signs and t-shirts. They probably were not aware of this gesture of mobilizing their grief in a constructive manner would signify more than a cult appreciation for a cultural text. This was not only a sign, both literally and figuratively, of a feminist rebellion of women's rights, but also the chance to wrest control of the Carrie Fisher's likeness away from the corporate overlords, overlords that had commodified her image for years to sell licensed merchandise. The designer who made this famous sign, We Are the Resistance, um, her name is Haley Gilmore, says, Haley Gilmore did allude to some legal issues she faced with copyright infringements from Lucasfilm and Disney in an interview with the New York Observer. However, fan practices have continually walked the fine line of repurposing corporate-owned intellectual property. Wink, wink. Um, <laughs> I think it's really interesting, this concept of, like, holding a sign that you're, you like the message behind, but you don't know everything that, like, goes into that image. And so much of that is, I think that's a lot of how art functions and how we can view this the like this the culture of the sign as as like a, a sort of an, a middle finger to the corporate overlords or like you said Caitlin we can think about it as like the image just continually restructuring itself without Carrie Fisher having any say in it and i i think i would agree that Carrie would appreciate this usage as a symbol in this specific instance. I, I think that she 100% would, but it's interesting. Like, what if she didn't? What if she all goes back to that, that quote that we read in the beginning about every time she looks her, herself in the mirror, she has to send George Lucas a couple of bucks on that sign. She doesn't have to send them a couple of bucks. Sorry. And I don't mean to interrupt, but then I agree with you that I think Carrie would have wanted this image would have approved of this, the symbolism, right. That it was used for, but then a couple months later, it's the poster that's being given out at Celebration for the, from the corporate that, overlords, right? Yeah. And like now it sells. That's not mentioned in this essay, but I was thinking about yeah, that as well. It sells for hundreds of dollars on eBay and mm -hmm. it's it, it's complicated, right? It's it's layered and it's, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah, the concept of um, image I think is something so complicated for everyone and one that I think that um, a lot of people like continually try to deconstruct throughout their life. I'm speaking, I'm projecting, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I think that they had, uh, it was an interesting quote in this essay that I would like to read about how media scholar Kirsty Fairclough argues that, quote, in an increasingly individualistic culture, a woman's outward appearance represents her entire selfhood, end quote. 
Therefore, it was not surprising that Carrie Fisher became vilified for aging by a fan base enumerated by a nostalgic image of her likeness, but she did feel a bit demoralized by the quick descent into online harassment. Fisher mockingly asks, why did all these men find it so easy to be in love with me then and so complex to be in love with me now? She's saying that in 2015. Um, And then just sort of to add on to that quote a couple pages later, the signification of Fisher's facetious meditation on her celebrity status and commodification of her auto in her autobiographies combined with fans' own meditation of her image for either purposes of nostalgia or activism is a testament to the ways in which a celebrity becomes a custodian of her cultural heritage and not the conglomerates that leverage them for economic value. As Carrie Fisher understood, quote, I would never not be Princess Leia. I had no idea how profoundly true that was and how long forever was. Yeah, I think that it's a constant wrestle. And it's true. The fan conversation and like the way that we perceive images has everything to do with corporate culture and also nothing to do with corporate culture. And that's something that we wrestle with on this podcast, even without specifically naming it, and something that we wrestle with every single day in our life as I sit here surrounded by an image of Carrie Fisher and a poster, a Star Wars poster, a statue of Ray a photo of Carrie Fisher that has been transformed into a collage made by our friend Kara DJ. It is a journey, I think, as a fan who is a fan of Princess Leia, of all the different ways in which we consume these characters and how it changes constantly. Yeah, because it's, it's the, I think it's the other complication of like live action, right? Or, um, visual like narrative art right because once it is released into the world it's it no longer completely belongs to the artist to the creator and I feel like authors talk about this a lot and like painters like those kind of artists right but I think it's there's that other layer of complication with something like a film a tv show whether it's animated or live action that we take it and it create meaning ourselves and create meaning within our communities and then seek additional meaning from the creators themselves. And yeah, I just, I think it's, it's incredibly complicated and yeah, for as much as we can talk about, you know, there's, there's like that, that tinge of sadness, I think in all of these quotes from Carrie Fisher about her relationship to Leia and Ellie, but that's like, what I read into it, right? And part of me reading in that tinge of sadness is because I think it's so unfair that she's not with us anymore. And like, that still makes me really sad. You know what I mean? Like, who knows what I would be saying if she was still here, right? right? And like what her relationship to Star Wars would even look like. There are so many unknowns and so much, like I said, I'm like, I'm reading a tinge of sadness, but that's me. That's me reading that in. That's me interpreting it. And perhaps that was never her intent when she first wrote down those words, right? Um, but yeah, we, we can talk all day about like the commodification of her image and how that is complicated and in so many ways unfair and just a product of, of the, the king of, of Disney, of corporations, of Lucasfilm. But then like, we're here benefiting from those corporations, finding joy in them and the stories that they're telling and, and the artistry that comes out of them. But then that is all subject to the corporation itself of Lucasfilm and Disney and all of the um, hardships and the frustrations that come with that too. But we're all still here. It's, Mm -hmm. and I think in a lot of ways, like that was Carrie Fisher too. And like her, you know, 
going to conventions and calling it a celebrity lap dance, but then also calling it, you know, sentimental and mystifying. It's it's all of those things. Mm-hmm. It is all those things. And I want to say a comment as we're sort of like rounding out our discussion here that in the beginning of the show, I alluded to Caitlin and I having a very complicated relationship with Princess Leia. And I just want to say that like that relationship has like completely changed as I've become an adult. And I think that like I through Carrie Fisher's own writing, which like I highly recommend and actually I think is quoted probably the most in this specific essay is her last book, The Princess Diarist, which is amazing. I highly recommend, actually, I recommend all her books and I felt like like a closeness to her as I got older. And I think that now I relate to Princess Leia, but as a kid, I didn't. And I just like, no one told me that was like, okay to not relate to Princess Leia when I was a kid who was like a young girl fan of Star Wars because all of the marketing was telling me that that's who I should like. And then it was to my surprise that even a character like Padme during the prequels wasn't even marketed that much to me. So I was like, wait, where's my marketing for this? (laughs) (laughs) Where's my merchandising here? And it was really only in 1999 with The Phantom Menace that they really like heavily merchandised Natalie Portman's character. So I think that like once you break out of that and you realize, okay, so I'm a little bit of an outsider in this community and like coming to terms with that and making yourself known that or I, feel like I I'm wasn't told that I'm an outsider. Yes, exactly. Thank you, Caitlin. That I'm being told that I'm an outsider in this community. And then you kind of like settle into that identity. And that's why the wave of, we talk about this, about the character of Ray and like being thrown the character of Ray it felt a little disingenuous even though we love the character of Ray because you're right like the monopoly example is a very clear one to me about okay so where is it and I think that we can experience this dichotomy of please market to me but also market to everyone market to everyone and it's it's just interesting we just live in this like commodified world where We're here on this podcast talking about this movie that has been has made more money with merchandising than it has in the actual story. And so much of our podcast is like, no, 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 like look back into the actual story. What is the story telling you? And what are the creators who made the story telling you about how you should view the story? And uh, I think that that's one of the reasons why we lean back on that so much because our selves weren't like fully marketed to in the very beginnings of our own fandom. I think that you could argue that potentially we are now, but it is, it's a long way to go still. Um, Hmm. Yeah. I I know. I I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if I fully agree with the statement I just said, but it definitely feels better than it ever did. Okay. Well, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, there's always progress, but sometimes sometimes (laughs) it's a two step, two steps, one step forward, two steps backward progress. And sometimes it's a couple more steps, you know, it's, yeah, sometimes it's two steps forward, three steps back, then like five steps forward, then two steps back. And like we're moving forward, but it's a very slow pace. Yeah. But we're still here. And Leia is like definitely in my top five favorite characters for sure. And it's even interesting to think about that character, how she evolves past Carrie Fisher um, in books and other mediums and how my viewpoint of her will always be so tied to Carrie even as the character exists long without her here. Yeah, I think that 
I think that's the thing, right? Like you, I think you talked a lot about like our relationship with the character as, as young 13 year old girls and like, this is it. Here she is. Leia and Padme take your pick. And like you pick Padme, I pick Leia. Like, okay. Like, I guess, guess these are our girls. Right. But what does that even mean? And why, why is this my choice? Like, why is it one or the other? Whereas, you know, that wasn't the case for, for the boys, but I, like so much of my relationship to Leia as a character changed because I got to know Carrie Fisher as a person. And like, that's, that's, that's the rub right Herein lies the rub that they're together. They're always together in a way that I don't think Harrison and Mark were, I think Mark to a lesser degree than Carrie and then Harrison to a lesser degree than that. But I don't think either of them experienced it the way that Carrie Fisher did. And I think maybe like a good kind of rounding out quote here at the end is from a Los Angeles-based writer named Vanessa Witter, who's quoted about the resistance posters from the Women's March in 2017. She was asked if it was Carrie Fisher or Princess Leia who sparked the creative impulse behind the poster. Witter thoughtfully reasoned that Fisher was the ultimate catalyst for the poster. Quote, Fisher had just recently died and we were all grieving her sudden loss and reflecting on her life. Her personal life was a dichotomy of strength and vulnerability, which we can all relate to on some level. And so many women were feeling both of those things very acutely in the wake of the 2016 election. So while the image on my poster is Princess Leia, leader of the rebellion and feminist heroine, it it carries the um, cultural and emotional weight that it did because of Fisher. And I think that this is something we'll be talking about more in some of the later essays in the book, but I think it's worth like discussing here a little bit in this opening essay is that like personally, I guess for me, getting to know Carrie Fisher as she presented herself, which I think she presented herself in a very vulnerable fashion, like to me, Honestly, I I think it was one of the first celebrities, one of the first like women, older women that I saw just be so sarcastic and say like crude things all the time and, you know, talk about her struggles and what she was going through and then, you know, be sarcastic and quippy and be super cool. But for a while, like I didn't think that was cool. I was like, that's like, that's not what it is. Like, that's not that's not ladylike. And like, I think you also have to understand, like I came from like a very conservative, like Christian home where people didn't curse and like, it just, it wasn't like that, you know? So to have a celebrity like that, um, it felt very new for me. And yeah, I, I think so much of my love of the character was through getting to know Carrie Fisher and that in and of itself is one of those other complications, but just seeing her as, as a person and, her vulnerability. And like I said, I'm sure we'll be talking more about her, her writings and her mental health struggles and how she advocated for that for other people and how important that was. But yeah, I just wanted to add that there at the end. Totally. And thanks for adding that, Caitlin. That was a really good quote to end on. Yeah. So is there anything else you want to add? No, I'm just really looking forward to diving into the other ones. And I will put the link to the book in our show notes as usual if you're interested in getting, but I also hope that our conversation (laughs) wasn't too confusing without reading the essay (laughs) that we provided enough quotes that 
we could ground you in a conversation. So yeah. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, if you are interested in talking more about Carrie Fisher and Princess Leia, you can find us online on Twitter at SkytalkersPod or our personal handles. Charlotte's is at Clarity and mine is at Caitlin Plusher. We also have our website, skytalkers.com, our TikTok page, our Instagram and our Facebook. We are you know, on every social media platform, you can find us there. And if you haven't left us a review yet on iTunes or Spotify, we would really love it if you took a couple seconds to go and do that on your podcast player of choice. It really helps other people find our show and join in on the conversation with us. And if you're interested in other ways to support us, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our reward tiers there and also how to get involved in our wonderful Discord community. Yes. And I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons, Matthew, Mary, Megan, David, Claudia, Larry, Kate, Lady Valkyrie, The Morning's Hush, Blessed Cheesemaker, Danny, Patrick, Hammy, Z, and Sophie. Thank you so much for supporting us. Your support means the world. Yes. Thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you.